morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us. And today we have a very special guest joining the show. Somebody we got to meet at XRP Las Vegas and see again in New York in September. So that was very fortunate. Molly Elmore is joining the show, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm very excited for today's episode. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how a new day is coming for American crypto regulation, as we're hearing from the opposite side of the aisle with Elizabeth Warren and some pro-crypto candidates exposing their beliefs on Twitter. We're also going to discuss Ripple expanding their products into Ireland, now approving a money license in that jurisdiction. And with the largest financial planet, not largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, exposing a new document from the IMF published in 2023, explaining how Stellar and Ripple could provide a cross-border payment solution. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcasts, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, today's going to be a pretty exciting episode, not only because we have a special guest, but we're going to be going through all the information she broke down in a video, I think it was six or eight months ago. So Tons of great stuff to go through, but how are you feeling this morning? And thanks for being here. Habs, I'm feeling great. And good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you guys for showing up every single day. I'm happy to hop into it today with our brother Mario and our special guest, Molly. It's been a while. I can't wait to hop into it, Molly. Absolutely, Mario. And listen, the market, it's getting exciting. I don't know if the node narrative has entered the conversation yet, but I'm betting there will be a day. So get ready, my friend. First of all, how are you feeling? And thanks for being here. Good morning, everyone. I'm feeling amazing. I'm Super excited to be here. It's great to have Molly back on the show. Sending love to Johnny, Avs, everybody out there watching us now and in the future. The node narrative, I believe the node narrative will return. I, mean, I was actually in the process of setting up a Sentinel DVPN node yesterday, and I saw a chart that shows the amount of Sentinel nodes that have been uh, active. And over the past, I want to say like 30 days, it's grown, grown ex exponentially. So I think there will be a narrative. Soon See, Johnny, he's sticking to it. He is remaining as the node defender for this next bull market. Yes, we'll discuss is. it later in the show because I want to get to our special guest and Molly. There's so much exciting news, but let's address something that many of our listeners may not be very excited about. Solana passed XRP in total market cap this morning. So I'd like to get your opinion on that. And thank you for being here. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, I think that the focus on market cap is very short-sighted because we are still in like this sandbox pretend world of using digital assets to test the infrastructure of how money gets moved and value gets moved. So I don't really know if the market cap is really relevant because the, the floodgates have not yet opened and sort of the big kids have not come into the playground at this point. So I'm not too worried about Solana's market cap relative to XRP. Well, I know many of our listeners are celebrating those statements, Molly, and we've already got 333 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. When we check out some of our daily movers today, Johnny, it is green bubbles across the board. HBAR is up about 11%. AVAX, 7%. VChain. This is one we're going to break down in the show because this chart is actually very bullish. It's up about 10% on the day and Solana up about 8%. When we check out the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at $1.63 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 53% dominance. Ethereum is about 16%. We've got Bitcoin back above 44000 Johnny, sitting at $44,016. Ethereum, $2,200. We got XRP trading at $0.62. Cents. But guys, I'm going to have to start changing the order on this show because Solana, like I said, Passed it up in market cap, sitting at $79. And Molly, there's a lot of exciting news to get into today, but I wanted to start off with this tweet from Eleanor Tourette, just to kind of show where we are in America, as opposed to other countries around the world. And these statements are so bold. They're, 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 they're facing Gary Gensler's direction is what I'm trying to say when I'm reading this. So this was new out of this week as SEC government has denied Coinbase's petition for the agency to create transparent rules on the road of crypto. The SEC is standing firm on their belief that the existing laws and regulations already apply to the crypto securities market. And the reason that I'm really not Molly to start the show is because we're going to bring some contrary opinions. We're going to show you the IMF documents. We're going to talk about what happened in Ireland today, but also 
is the centralization of these assets a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's a very important conversation to have as well. But I'd like to get your reaction to this before we dive into our content for today. What does it mean to you that in December of 2023, on the precipice of what many are calling another bull run, in the United States, we're calling crypto assets securities? Well, if the securities laws were so clear in their application to digital assets, why has no company gone public on the blockchain? Like, why, why are the, the business community not using digital assets to raise money and to move value around? Clearly, there is confusion in the part of the market. Otherwise, we would have seen people move forward. Um, now, I don't think it's necessarily the SEC's role to write these laws or regulations. Uh, I think Congress could ask them to help. I don't think Congress seems to do a whole lot of work in terms of this, this task. But there is this counter thesis that the U.S. is being held back intentionally to let the other nations of the world kind of get a head start. This is the level playing field thesis, which I happen to believe in. So I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing for global peace that the U.S. sort of digital assets market is being held back to give other nations a chance to kind of get their infrastructure in place first. Johnny Crypto, we're going to show something that we've never shown before on the show. I was going through this IMF document released in March of, of this year, 2023. And in this document, they give a clear example of how segregated the banking system is today. You cannot send money from Argentina to Mexico. Africa doesn't even exist on this map. So we're talking about the expansion of, this, of these assets, but also the inclusion of new countries into our financial system. I sound like I'm a member of the World Economic Forum, guys, but I'm going to back it up with some information today. So, Johnny, before we get started here, what's your opinion on everything we broke down? I was just wondering, when did they sign you? When did you join their uh, their cabal? I just, I just I got off the phone with Klaus Schwab, actually. Oh, okay. I figured it. it sounded like that's about right. Yeah, Jesus Christ. You got this is jokes for the record. Did you right? drink the Kool-Aid, too? <laughs> no, absolutely. The, 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 the world is a very, very, very complex place, and that's why... You know, when we talk about these adopt adopting these technologies and getting this stuff, it takes time for all this stuff to come through. But there is no reason in the world why it shouldn't be connected in 2023, right? Based on the technology and things we have. And so you'll see that as we move forward, some of these blockchain technologies will certainly solve that problem and bring all these things together. And we're in the midst of the beginning of seeing all this stuff come together. It's a really, really exciting time. To be able to forerun, you know, front run and be able to invest in some of these technologies that are going to be real world solves that bring this stuff together. is very, very exciting. And Johnny, we're going to play a video right now updating people on the pro crypto regulation that's being pushed in America as well. But we already have 424 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny Crypto, you know the deal with the new audio. The second this thing stops playing, you jump right in, my friend. And being said, here we Allied political action committees funded by leaders of the crypto industry will be kicking off 2024 with a combined $78 million as they try to be key influencers during the upcoming election cycle. The super PACs, Fair Shake, Protect Progress, and Defend American Jobs made the announcement today. Since officially launching earlier this year, Fair Shake has raked in donations from more than 20 influential players in the crypto space, including crypto-friendly venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, Coinbase, and tech executives Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. Of course, the crypto industry's biggest donor last cycle was Sam Bankman-Fried. This year, he's been convicted of seven criminal counts, but during the 2022 midterm election cycle, SBF donated more than $36 million to campaigns and PACs. Prosecutors allege some of that money came from FTX customers. Last, SoftBank, three allied political action... You know, at the end of the day, let's hope that there's no more SBFs in this group. I mean, the reality is, Abs, we absolutely needed to weigh the scales the other way. We know there's a big faction or push for anti-crypto bills out there. And, and that's just that's just money from the old system that's pushing money to certain senators. We all know who they are. And, and now we need to balance those scales with pro-crypto money. And I've been saying we need this for a long time. And hopefully it's good real money. We're not stealing from people's accounts like Sam did. And we'll be okay because now you're going to get that push. Those 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 packs are going to put money behind certain senators. And that's how you kind of, that's how unfortunately things work in America and in the world. It's all about the money at the end of the day. So you're going to get people bouncing the skills. You're going to have this push for pro and anti-crypto. At the end of the day, pro crypto is going to win because you can't you can't stop technology. It doesn't work that way. It will happen. It will come. The question is the acceleration of it, how quick it comes. That all depends on who gets fed more money. And now, as we start to balance the scales, 
we'll see more money coming in. And, and hopefully on the pro side of crypto, you're already hearing. I mean, it's great that Vivek's talking about on a, on a presidential level. On campaign presidential levels, we're hearing about crypto. That's the first time ever in our lifetime, right? That's a very, very good thing. Again, that's because money is coming in and saying, hey, time to start talking about crypto. Molly, Johnny brought up. Go ahead. I feel like we've lost the message that we learned from SBF and FTX, which was that there was a massive amount of money laundering going on and it was used to bribe people. And now we seem to have forgotten that. And we're like, oh, look, another super PAC, $78 million that we're going to use to bribe people. And I think we're, we're missing the point that like our political system just involves people being bought off and paid for. And just because someone is being bought off and paid for for the side that you happen to like today doesn't mean that we need to support this system of like incessant money laundering and bribing and corruption. Um, yeah. What but is that's all this another whole really conversation, for? Molly, on another whole day. It's a, you're absolutely right. Our political system is completely corrupt and broken. No question about it. But this is what we have today. So you either you either use it to promote what's going to happen. But either way, I totally agree with you. We have a broken system, but that is the system we have, unfortunately. Here's what I would say too, Molly, is that we know that Coinbase is going to be the Bitcoin ETF custodian for BlackRock, ARK Invest, Van Eyck, Wisdom Tree. The list goes on and on. And I think that just goes to expose that behind the scenes, everybody's pushing us in a certain direction. And I have a video I can play for my friend, Klaus Schwab, where he's talking about how these digital assets give him capabilities he's never seen before. He said, why would we need to host public elections when we have predictive powers with this new technology? We can just predict who should be elected and elected for the people. So yeah. that's a direct quote. So I think there's a very direction that they're moving us right now. And I just want to reiterate, obviously, I'm joking about the Klaus Schwab stuff. Someone's going to comment that I'm serious. I think we, you know, the infrastructure used to move money via the blockchain is incredibly valuable. But there's been this land grab for many years of who's going to control it. And part of the way they it's being managed is through kind of propaganda and media. And this idea that on one hand, BlackRock has become the, the largest owner of assets globally, and they, their Aladdin technology allows them to have insights into the markets in a way that very few of us even truly understand. And that that's not necessarily in our best interests. Uh, and then simultaneously, they're going to launch an ETF around Bitcoin and digital assets, potentially an Ethereum one. And that's kind of being seen as as celebratory. So back to the sort of like super PAC thing is like, you got to be careful what you want, because I feel like we're, we're seeing a lot of like people on one side complaining about this system, but then really embracing it and saying, well, oh well, this is all we have. We need to just go with it. The BlackRock message is very similar. Like we either want a very few set of companies owning all the assets globally, or we don't. And so if we don't want that, we have to actively speak out and put measures in place to offer some alternatives. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of be stuck with this. I kind of feel like we have to be the solution and not just kind of complaining about things and being complacent. And we're seeing a lot of news today specifically that is a part of this contradictory message, like central banks are bad. Oh, look, Ripple has a deal with the central bank. BlackRock's bad. Oh, look, BlackRock has a bunch of ETFs. Like, what what, what side are you on? Let's actually, so let's go right there with the conversation because I think you're spot on. And I was going to address this later in the show. I just want to remind people because the title of today's episode is the IMF document. We will be covering this later in the episode. But Molly, you bring up something so important, which is why do people get into crypto? Supposedly to get control of their money and escape the banking system. What's happening right now? We're celebrating the centralization of these assets because in the short term, we're going to make a ton of money. So it's really like, all right, is Bitcoin going to increase in value over the next 24 months because of these spot products? It's almost undeniable. But in the long term, what's going to happen is there's only 21 million Bitcoin and you're going to have these companies with almost infinite spending power competing against guys like Johnny and Molly who are trying to accumulate two or three Bitcoin with whatever they can, right? If, if you can even do that. So I want to ask you, do you see it as a negative or a positive narrative that institutions are finally coming around to these assets, but they're centralizing them right in front of us? So I think that the financial system has been been used to benefit a very small select group of people. And the majority of us have watched our dollars become worth less over time. And we're constantly working and getting behind and struggling financially. 
So to watch the centralization of this new payment system happening while we kind of celebrated, I'm like, did you not learn anything from like your whole life and watching the value of the dollar decline? We're going to go through that same process if we allow this a similar group of people to control the financial system. Um, Abs, you brought up that great point of showing that IMF map where the correspondent banks of the world are needed to move money globally. And, you know, Ripple and XRP have offered this alternative payment system, but we need to start encouraging smaller nations like every one of them in Africa, for example, to be able to move money back and forth with each other without needing the permission of the Western banking system. That's really one of the key words that I love about this sort of crypto world is this idea of permission versus permissionless. That right now, if if you want to move money or if you want to own a business, you need the permission of the banks. A bank has to allow you to have a bank account so that you can pay your bills and move money. Now think about that at a, a sovereign scale, that if I'm a country in Africa, like the Congo, and I want to send money to another country like Zimbabwe, I need the permission of a, of a Western bank to really do that. And that's that's broken and that needs to change. And crypto, the technology enables that. But are we as citizens standing, you know, sitting back complacently while the same political machine takes control of this new infrastructure? Because if we don't offer an alternative, we're going to end up in exactly the same position with just different tech. Mario, we got 565 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to give a special thank you again to Molly. It's always fun when we get to collaborate. I have to play the Claude Schwab video. I'm just preparing you guys. I'm getting it ready in the background because it fits into our conversation. But Mario, I want to get your thoughts and then we'll play the video. Well, the real question is, did you record it yourself? Because it sounds like you're friends with him, as you were saying earlier. But uh... this joke is <laughs> getting dangerous, saying, guys. Yeah. I'm going to backtrack here. This is, I'm, not, I'm not going along with this joke anymore. <laughs> I think this is a, a really important conversation that we're having. And it's something that I've actually been sharing for quite a while, which is the sentiment behind a lot of the uh, crypto projects as far as um like for example ripple we all get excited or most people as investors get excited whenever there's some kind of cbdc news right but we know how bad cbdc's are going to be for for society we know that all the negatives that come with the cbdc so i think we we are at a stage where we've noticed we've realized that in order for crypto to continue moving forward there has to be the centralization factor because of regulation and i think that governments are not going to allow fully decentralized networks, especially when it comes to, to the financial system, I don't think that they will allow fully decentralized uh, financial networks to go into the future. And so that's why we're seeing this big fight, as, as Yesco is, keeps saying on our show, we're seeing this massive fight right now. And this fight stage is essentially just saying, hey, look, this is who's going to control the financial system or who's going to continue to control. And then in my opinion, they're going to they're going to pick and choose the projects that that they want to utilize going forward. But it is essentially just a, a centralization fight, in my opinion. Johnny, I'm going to play this video, but you threw up that comment on the screen, and that's a dangerous comment, right? To say like, "Hey guys, don't worry about the long term effects. Take advantage of that short term profit." It's almost like enjoy that bag of Doritos. Don't go for a workout. You know, it's the same type of mindset. But I understand it. Everybody's trying to free them, free themselves, free them, free their families. And there's clearly a narrative that we're leaning towards here. So I don't know if you have any initial comments or I can dive right into this clip. You just let me know, Johnny, and we'll rock and roll. Well, I think, you know, first of all, you're right. It is an extremely very dangerous comment. Uh, the reality, though, is there is a very, very powerful group, a small group that runs everything, whether you want to believe it or not. And they've had their grips around things for a very long time, and they're not going to let it go. And what they've done is they've taken this cool little project that a bunch of us little geeks and nerds used to play in the sandbox called crypto, and they've hijacked it. They've taken it over because they see it as a big threat. And that's that's the fight you stage. That's what we're going through. And they see that they can't stop it. So what are they going to do? They're going to take control of it. And so the reality is, as a human being, what can you possibly do? You can try to fight it. Probably going to lose. Probably not going to have a chance. Or you can profit from it. You have to decide. Absolutely, guys. And we're going to rock right in, rock and roll right into this clip. Here we go. Digital technologies. The technology now is, and uh, digital technologies mainly have 
an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But since the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say, why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Fascinating. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's you're just one step closer to the end of humanity. I mean, why even be alive at that point? Like, we just know what's going to happen. We know we're going to die too. So, I mean, so Molly, I, I just want to make a couple of points here. Number one, obviously, this is a man talking his book, right? This, just because Klaus Schwab sits up here and says that something's going to take place does not mean it's going to happen. I want to make that very clear. But it shows us that there are people out there working to, to actively in, like take away our freedom. I don't know a better way to say it than that. Somebody telling you that you don't need to elect, we can think for you, is absolutely unbelievable. Them saying that they can predict what your actions will be based on your interactions with your own technology is unbelievable. So it's kind of, it's kind of intimidating as a younger person. Like Molly, we have a lot of time sitting in front of us. I know that by the time I'm 70 – if the, if we continue on this track, we're not going to have a lot. We'll have that predictive system that he's analyzing. But I did just want to get to your, some of your thoughts on the video. I'm not sure where you're going to go with this, but what is your initial reaction? So I think one of the reasons that the people like Klaus Schwab and his buddies uh, speak publicly about their plans is two. Is one, there's this concept of revelation of the method that they actually believe there are karmic consequences for doing things without letting people know. Then there is this other idea that if I just plant a seed in your mind and you over time just become accepting that that is what's going to happen, you become complacent and you stop fighting me. I mean, this is sort of the idea of predictive programming with the media and even Hollywood and entertaining entertainment. If I just get enough people to believe that this is inevitable, the collective actually manifests that reality. So the Klaus Schwab's of the world put these ideas out and we are not paying attention. You hear it subconsciously in the grocery store, in the car, whatever, and you just come to accept that we'll own nothing and be happy, and that's just the way it's going to be. We actually manifest that reality. I know it's a little bit esoteric for some people, but this is why like, not giving him the time of day and not taking it seriously, I actually think laughing at them is actually a very effective uh, tactic because it discredits that they have any authority or say over us whatsoever. So he's like this Dr. Evil caricature that is perfect in this story to show us that like that is what we don't want, but we have to be clear about what we do want. This kind of brings back to some of the points I've made before is like, do we want central banks? Do we want the black starts of the world? Do we want a, a broken financials or a, a broken political system? We have to be very clear about what we do want in order to manifest the reality that actually does serve our interests and not just focus on what we don't want and complaining about it. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about what types of ideas are you adopting into your reality? I'm not going to adopt ideas that take away my power. Like I'm not going to adopt ideas that make me feel weaker or more insecure or more vulnerable because what's the benefit, right? It's like if we have this free will and we're able to choose what reality we'd like to align with because of our perspective, why am I going to choose something negative? It just doesn't make sense. And I think you're perfectly right. And when you talk about laughing at him, because when you take this stuff serious, it's dark. When you laugh at him trying to implement this dark age, like the guy's 85 years old. How long until he's like, will Klaus Schwab ever see this dystopian realities in the process of creating? I doubt it. I don't know. I'd have to talk to his vision, get a blood test, but I don't know how many years this guy's has left. And if you look at it, even as quickly as we're progressing, we're still decades away from what he's talking about before every citizen in America complies and says, you know what, Klaus, we don't need an election. What's your predictive program say? Right? So I think we're a long ways away. And Johnny, we're going to go back into some crypto content here, but why don't you close us out with some thoughts? Well, I was just wondering, apparently your friend's not going to be too happy with you after the words you just said about him. But no, the reality is absolutely the way to get away from all this is like I do. I, I've turned the TV off like many years ago and life is so much better. Like my buddy's like, oh, where you been? I don't you know this. No, I don't care what's going on in the world. I make my own world. I do what I want here, what I do. And that's what your own reality is. You have to create your own reality. That's the bottom line. That's how you kind of get around all this stuff. You don't pay attention to it. Like you said, laugh at it, ignore it. You know, just the way they do to us, right? The four stages, first they laugh at you, then they ignore you. You do the same thing and life is just really good. So at the end of the day, you know, when I'm hanging out with my friends and having a good time on a boat or whatever we're doing, 
that's that's what life's all about, man. You don't want to get hung up into all this stuff, what they're saying, Dr. Evil, this and that. It'll drive you crazy. I mean, seriously, if you let it, it'll get in your head. Trust me. You know what I'm talking about. It'll get in your head, and it'll ruin your life. So the best thing is, nah, man, you, like you said, you laugh, you move on, you have a good time, but focus on your life and your reality, and it'll be a much better place. Molly, and I want to give a shout-out to one of my friends, Waters Above, because he has a great saying where he says the news is the broken compass, north, east, west, south. So if you're looking to be misdirected, that's the place to go. Go check your broken compass, guys. And we got 602 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And let's get into this IMF content, Molly, because I'd love to start with why this is valuable. Why would the IMF want to leverage this technology for what they have existing today? This illustration paints the perfect picture. Right now, there's only a couple of ways that you can transfer money internationally. And when you're talking cross-border, it's extremely segregated. Africa is not listed on this map. Only Brazil and Argentina are in South America. And as you look at the world, not only is it segregated, but when we talk about bringing new players into the banking system, what do they always say, Molly? It all starts in Africa. And Africa is a blank corridor on this map. So before I even get into the Q&A, I love the video that you did from about six months ago. Could you address the landline issue that that crypto and blockchain is solving today and why that's beneficial to the IMF? Kind of reminds me, if you think about the landline phone system, like from back in the day, right? That if I wanted to call somebody, I needed to go to a house where like there was a landline and I had to call somebody else with a landline. So like there was rigid infrastructure for how you could call someone. And it went through like a, a routing central place, right? Like the in AT&T kind of infrastructure thing. Then cell phones come along and now you can call someone from anywhere and you don't need to be in the house where the landline was. And so I think the digital assets infrastructure is going to kind of free us up in a similar way that cell phones did. You don't have to go through these sort of formal lines anymore. Now, these lines really tie into what's called the correspondent banking system. And that while there's a lot of banks in the world, very few of them uh, are in a position to allow payments across borders. And there was actually never any money being moved. It was just really an accounting thing where you would have banks in every country in the world and you would kind of credit and debit money from accounts as money got moved globally. Now the IMF though, you have to wonder like, what is the IMF's agenda? I mean, they have their marketing spiel that they're like there to help these emerging nations kind of struggle with debt, but wh why are they being issued all this debt? What is the purpose of that debt? What are the, the kind of consequences to getting in debt and whether the blockchain will help the IMF make more debt for a lot of these emerging market nations. I think that's a conversation that people should have before celebrating the IMF doing anything. Um, I've been spending quite a bit of time on some projects in Africa and Africa has an abundance of resources that have value, gold specifically, lithium, cobalt, uh, oil. And for all our lifetime and the lifetime previous to us, those resources have been exploited and essentially stolen from the people of Africa. That's why there is no middle class in Africa. You have a lot of very, very poor people and a very small, small group of the wealthy who are um, kind of tied to the Western banking system. So when we see the collapse of the dollar system and kind of a, a new infrastructure in place via digital assets, I think we're going to see some massive changes in places like Africa where that value will actually benefit the people and it won't be sort of wired through the correspondent banking system, the Western banking system, where um, sort of a col colonialist viewpoint kind of viewed countries in, in Africa. Uh, I'm excited. I think good times are ahead that we're going to see organizations like the IMF uh, have a smaller role in the world. And even the BRICS coalition, which has an alternative but sort of banking, a development bank, kind of similar to the World Bank and the IMF, there's going to be some more competition, which I think will give countries in nations, uh, countries in places like Africa, some options that they're not beholden to this debt system anymore. So Molly, remind me before the end of the show, me and Johnny have always debated, does Ripple's business model enhance the value of XRP? And I think you're a perfect person to be engaged in that conversation as well. I am on the side of yes, Johnny's on the side of no, they're more specific than that. Johnny does have a very good argument, but for the sake of saving time, that's kind of where we're at. Ripple is building products that leverage the best blockchain solution. And 
it, it just happens that XRP is that thing. XRP is the cheapest, the fastest. It never goes down and they're leveraging it for cross-border payments and eventually liquidity pools. So this is going to open up huge amounts of liquidity where Bank of America doesn't have to go out and buy a billion dollars worth of XRP. They go to Medico, tap into their liquidity for three seconds, use that value, and then they're out. So the whole debate in that process is, does that increase the value of the token over time? And I guess I just explained it, so you may as well address it. What is your response to Ripple's business model and the impact it has on the XRPL and XRP in and of itself? So I've worked on a project where we actually built six different valuation models for XRP. And there's really one variable that is the price driver. And that is whether or not XRP will be used as a store of value. This is the actual issue within the XRP army that is decisive. No one disagrees that XRP has utility and that it could be used to move money very quickly, very inexpensively. The debatable topic is whether or not once adoption starts at scale, which has not happened yet, whether people will see the price of this asset go up and say, hey, I got a bunch of money in dollars. The dollar's losing value. I have to store my wealth somewhere. Will people at scale decide to store their wealth in XRP? That is the question. If they do, the value goes up. It now becomes perceived like a tier one asset, like gold, like real estate, where you're parking your money somewhere. And when that happens, I happen to believe that XRP will be used as a store of value. That's where the major price comes from. So Ripple using uh, XRP via ODL or whatever its new name is, is part of that. It's the, the beginning of the virtuous cycle, but the real real price action comes when people start to store their wealth in XRP, which moves, uh, removes it from circulating supply and creates an increase in demand for a, a, a decreasing supply. Johnny Crypto, I'd love to give you a chance to respond, but I, you brought up something so important, Molly, which is tokenization. Even Larry Fink right now is coming out and saying tokenization is the future of finance. And if XRP can capture even 10% of the tokenization market, we're going to see prices that are massive. I don't know what the actual calculations would be like you do, but you just do the math very simply. We're only at, I believe, $30 billion in total market cap or something. Apple is a $3 trillion company. So I think that really just goes to show, and I know that XRP is not a derivative of Ripple, so it's not an exact correlation, but I think that's a good example, right? If Apple's a $3 trillion company, how much is the asset worth for the company that's changing our financial system? And that's the trillion dollar question, I guess. But Johnny, I'd love to give you the floor because Molly gave a great response. What's your take? Well, I mean, obviously the conversation we had was different, right? I was just segregating the difference between XRP, the technology, and Ripple, the company. And what I'm saying is they're two separate things. Ripple, the company, is going to have multiple income streams. And what I was saying was XRP will be one of those, but that's not the only one they're counting on. They're looking at doing other things. They're looking at creating tokenization products, AMM products, uh, cross-border payment solutions. One of those includes XRP. So my point is Ripple, the company, I'm super bullish on because I think they, as a company, will be similar to when if we if we – go backwards to the Amazons of the world when we were first starting the internet, there are going to be certain companies that are going to come out of this stage that are going to be huge. And I think Ripple's going to be one of them. In terms of XRP, the technology, you know, Molly and I are spot on. And you and I talk about this all the time. The key that's also going to help that thing is that institutional trade volume or demand that's going to be required by XRP if these solutions do take into place. Um, so couple that with then it becoming a store of value and XRP itself as a whole becomes extremely valuable. So again, that's why for me, I'm bullish, as I said the other day, I'm both Ripple the company and XRP the technology. But just remember, they're not the same. If you own Ripple, the way you own a share in, uh, you know, if you own a Ripple or an Apple stock, in this case, if you own XRP, you do not own Ripple the company. They're two separate. 100%. No disagreements there. But Molly, let me ask a follow-up question because I think this is important. If Apple had a, a token back in 2000 or Amazon had a token back in 2000 where they said, this is the token you will use on our platform. As Amazon became the most powerful company in the planet, don't you think that quote-unquote value token, whatever you'd like to call it, would increase in value as well? And I think that's the argument people are applying to Ripple. If they accomplish their goal of developing CBDCs, getting money transmitter licenses, XRP is not only going to see increased volume, people are going to be buying it, holding it, storing their value there with tokenized assets as well. So that's kind of what I'm asking you. If Apple or if Amazon had a had a token that they were saying, you're going to use this on all of our applications going forward, 
obviously that token would profit and that's what people are applying to ripple right i agree i, I don't know if that's the most perfect analogy because when i think about tokenization now i think of it as a set of property rights being represented on the blockchain Exactly. And so what exactly is the property rights that Apple would have for this token? Is it just a payments mechanism that they're using? Um, do you have to hold this? Can you just use it short term on the Apple platform? I I'm just not clear in that analogy. But I think that the bigger issue is the network effect and understanding that there's a lot of blockchains right now. There's thousands of them. They're not all going to survive in the same way. Back in the year 2000, there was all these dot coms and they right. didn't all survive either. The ones with the most relationships and the most adoption were the ones that won. That to me is why I'm so bullish about the relationship between XRP and Ripple is that Ripple's been out there hustling, creating all these relationships to get their technology used at scale. Bingo. I don't see other companies trying to compete for that same part of the market, having the same success with those relationships. And Mario, I want to get your opinion as well. We're going to go through this quotation in the IMF document, but what Molly brought up is very important. Ripple's been expanding, and I know this is, I can't remember the exact number, but they have over 500 established partnerships worldwide, and Bank of America is on that list. So this is an interesting, we could spend 40 hours talking here, Molly, but the reality is if Bank of America hung in throughout the entire lawsuit and is still an established partner in October of 2023, that tells me that there is value that Ripple's providing that Bank of America understood at that time. So I don't know if that leads me to believe they're going to use XRP or if they're going to use Ripple's products, but for them to remain as a partner shows that Ripple's providing value. I want to get your thoughts and then I'll, I'll move on to Mario. Um, I think that we need to understand the, um, these relationships are key and that when we start to see adoption at scale, understanding exactly who's been on board for a long time is going to be important. This kind of brings me back to understanding the options agreements with the XRP, the escrow, the Ripple's escrow, and who really has claims on that asset. Why Why don't we know? Why are, is that secret? And why is that like a conspiracy theory to try to uncover who exactly has been promised XRP and at what price and under what conditions? So this is why it's a little frustrating for us as kind of like regular citizens to try to figure this out is that there's a massive amount of information that is exists that we do not have access to, which makes it very difficult for us to make smart decisions. This is why, um, you know, when you talk about the buyback stuff, people get all fired up because they're like, well, why wouldn't the banks just go and buy all of it now if it's going to be used at scale? Well, it's actually illegal. It's called fraud in the inducement that if a bank knows about these relationships and these plans and they buy from another party without disclosing that information, it is a form of fraud. Wow. That's yes. brand new information to me. Johnny, what's your response to that? That's got to be new information to you as well. It's new information, but the big boys don't care about fraud. They do it all the time. They break all the rules and they get away with it all the time. So yes, while I agree, the question is, who's going to hold them accountable to that fraud? Because we saw tons of fraud starting with the ETH gate, starting in 2008. Whole entire banking sector was full of fraud and crash and abs. One little banker, one little guy in a back office went to jail. So, you know, the fraud thing, I haven't seen a system that holds these people accountable yet. But Molly's, you know, right in that aspect. It is illegal. But when are we going to see it? People being held accountable? I don't know, abs. Ollie, it looked like you had a response. I'm going to give you a chance. Is there any rebuttal? Well, there is sort of a philosophy, philosophy, not a theory, I guess, that we are kind of watching the collapse of this current financial system and, and all the corruption is kind of playing out. But on the other side of this, only those businesses with integrity that operate transparently and honestly will be allowed to survive on the other side. This is obviously, you have to subscribe to this kind of, flip the switch, they'll, Nasara, whatever type of, of idea. And that if you've been committing fraud on this side, you're going to have to be held accountable for that on the other side. So this could tie into why XRP specifically is not being used in, in the fraud is that you ain't going to get to keep it on the other side if you bought it um, illegally. Well, Johnny, one of the things that's very clear is that the move, the, the movement into digital assets is happening in the United States now. And this is something that used to be a debate. We used to hear people like Jamie Dimon say it's only used for nefarious activity. 
oh, wait, that was last week. So it, we're running the same narratives from go. 2017, 2021. Here we are in 2023, about to be 24. And it is the exact same story copy and pasted during the bear market. So the reason I highlighted in that way, Molly, is because I think we can use this all to our advantage. There's a lot of confusion when you turn on CNBC and we, we're not doing this, but when the regular person turns on the news and they hear about crypto, what do they hear? They either hear Bitcoin, they hear criminality narratives, or they hear terrorism narratives. This is so, what they hear. This is what they're going to be fed. We've been telling you, we've been telling you this was going to come and Senator Warren is now doing exactly that. The, the irony and the amusing part is that the dollar has been used in criminal activity for since it started. Yep. Why is nobody upset about the dollar and the, the pallets of cash that like Obama gave the Iranians, like whatever. Yep. Exactly. That's my point. That's exactly my point. You know, it's like, what do we say with the percentages? What abs? Yep, half that's what I'm pulling up right now. I literally half just a percent. Yeah, what was it? Half a percent of crypto is used in criminal like It's like 80% cash. Cryptocurrency is objective. Yeah, there it is. A cryptocurrency is objectively less than 1% of all monetary illicit activity. And this is from the community notes on Twitter. So even Elizabeth Warren's getting called out on Twitter, which is pretty funny by the community notes. But I think it goes to show these narratives are old. They need a new playbook. At least give us something different, something to ponder. Well, you wait. Hold on. No, no, no. It's old to us, you, me, my, everybody in the chat, because we're paying attention. 4% of the world are in crypto. 96%, which then are all going to come in. Let's just say the, the masses that are going to come in, it's going to be new to them for the first time. When they turn on CNN and they hear her saying that, and there's nobody on the other side counter-arguing it, putting up those facts, what do you think they're going to walk away believing? They're going to say, hey, you know what, Johnny? Like they do, all my friends. Johnny, why are you in that? Why are you in that scam crypto garbage stuff? Blah blah blah. Because CNN and Fox News is telling them, "Oh my God, it's used for nefarious activities and and all this bad stuff." It's like, no, no, it's not. You just don't have your facts right. But the problem is, if CNN came out tomorrow, Abs, and they told you the sky was orange, I guarantee you, three of your friends would come and say, "You know what, Abs? The sky's actually orange. You better believe it, because that's how it works." Well, I think it's an important point, Mario. I want to get your thoughts as well, because we know for a fact that crypto accounts for less than 1% of all illicit activity, yet this narrative, they feel comfortable rolling out to the public again. And Johnny said something, I don't know if it's still relevant, because you said most people turn on the news and they hear these narratives and they believe it. And I said that too, but 52 million Americans own crypto today. So that's a lot of people who are already advocates of the technology. You're not buying into something you think is going to fail. So they already think it's going to be a success. I'm going to kick it to Mario and then we'll move on. What's your initial reaction? Yeah, I think that eventually that narrative is not going to work anymore, uh, especially as we start to see these ETF products get pushed out. I'm sure, you know, at least the people that are paying somewhat attention, they're going to be like, well, if it's used for illegal activities, then how come we have products like these, uh, the Bitcoin ETF? So I think that narrative doesn't have that much time left, um, but, but it's definitely good that at least... Twitter or now X.com is doing a good job at calling out, you know, Senator Warren for, for false information. But yeah, I really think that the conception at some point, we're going to see this flip of, of a narrative on, on, uh, on the news networks, much like we've seen in previous bull run, where all of a sudden they're going to not mention those parts anymore. And they're just going to talk about, Hey, look, Bitcoin is uh, doing this much return and, and the Bitcoin ETF and BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF was approved. So that's going to flood in more people. Um, but uh, nonetheless, we are still at very early stages and obviously there's still a lot that needs to go as far as people understanding what the concept of, of crypto is. And a lot of that is going to play into governments just creating this regulation and framework and for us to start to really see the utility part of, of crypto kicking in, and that's going to change people's mentality going forward. And Molly, I want to give you, I looked like you had a response. So yeah. I just think like Elizabeth Warren's discussion about illicit activity, the question should be flipped back to her. How much of the foreign aid that the U.S. government issues goes to illicit activity? I'd like to see some receipts, please. I'd like to see where that money goes and what it's used for. So you're going to accuse all these other people of criminal activities where the U.S. government is probably the largest funder of illicit activity globally. Yeah, good luck. Don't hold your breath waiting for that one, Molly. <laughs> I'd like to have you back again on the show. Don't hold your breath on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I said was, we, you know, Ward wants to see all the records. Of, you know, how about we see all the records of, of, of her campaign donations and everything? Lead by example. Let's see some transparency yeah, exactly. on your slide. Exactly. Remember this, guys. 
And I don't know if I should say it, but we all know how much she makes and how much her net worth is. So I'm not going to give specific numbers, but that really does speak for itself. And Molly, just to close up this argument, this is a response from the U.S. Space Force engineer, Jason P. Lowry, who fired back at Elizabeth Warren's anti-crypto agenda via LinkedIn. He said if certain members of the Congress are going to criticize the U.S. military and intel community for undermining their efforts to pass legislation that harms the crypto community, then perhaps Congress should call on someone in the U.S. military to testify as an expert witness about why the proposed legislation might be harmful to U.S. interests. This Lowry man is an active duty U.S. National Defense Fellow from MIT, and he's willing to go and stand in front of Congress and explain to them exactly why this anti-crypto narrative only hurts Americans. So, Molly, I know you have more background knowledge on who he is, but what's your response to him being willing to defend at least Bitcoin in this argument? So I think it's interesting that he's allowed to speak publicly in the first place. Generally, military people are not allowed to do that. So there's a reason why he's been given this this controlled opposition place on this stage, that you now can have this conversation between one side and the other side that's being managed very closely. He's a Bitcoin maxi through and through, a very big proof of work guy. I've known about him for a couple of years. He's, um, you know, makes great, compelling arguments. So I think he's kind of part of the machine that is controlling the conversation. So I would just be careful about taking him as an objective person on the side of the people. I think he's just there to have the counter argument in, um, in the narrative. The unfortunate truth, Johnny. And it's like they say, sometimes the truth hurts. I'm waiting for the good guy who people come and say, look, it's a good guy doing good things. But I guess I'll just Here hold was a good guy who tried to do good things and look what they did to him. Got yeah. out to our man, John McAfee this morning, yeah. guys. And we're, well, let's dive into this IMF content because we got a lot to cover and I'm not sure how much time Molly has for us. So let's get right into this information here, Johnny. The IMF stated three models could arise, a private settlement asset and marketplace such as Ripple's XRP, which is an open source marketplace such as the Stellar Foundation, or more recently, DeFi networks and marketplace settlement asset based on unbacked crypto assets such as Strike, which leverages Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. However, a public solution has key advantages such as tackling the coordination problem and the centralizing participation and liquidity provision. So I want to pause it there because it's a lot of like big words, kind of like nuanced statements. But this is what I want to figure out, Molly. How much of this is indicating that they're interested in what Ripple and Stellar have built? And how much is, is pointing at a product and saying, we'd like to have something similar? So I'm not sure if this is an indication that they're willing to use these products, or is this an indication that they understand what they built is valuable? So let's just use the DeFi example in there. So there's been a narrative in the crypto world that DeFi is kind of giving power to the people. Well, the institutional bond market, for example, they did a test Project Guardian out of Singapore where they were using DeFi technology to have a 24-7 institutional bond trading market. Now, it's not for the people. You and I are not allowed into this walled garden. You're going to need an NFT to access it. But I think the technology of DeFi will be used by the institutional uh, big kids, but they're not going to let the little people... Um, create an infrastructure where we can trade outside of the banking system. So we have to separate the technology with who actually is in a position to implement that technology at scale. And does the current financial system simply want to protect their own interests, kind of like a cartel or the mob or any other group of people who kind of have a lot of influence and want to make sure that they keep that influence? Um, so I think when we debate endlessly things like DeFi and whether it's good or bad, it's it just is. It's technology that can be used for a variety of purposes. The question will be, who is actually in charge of implementing these policies? What is the IMF's agenda? Who really controls the IMF? Who elects people to the IMF? Like That to me is the more interesting question than what technology will they use is, do we want the IMF and do they serve the interests of humanity? That's a debatable question. It's really interesting how willing a lot of governments are to participate in like these global conglomerates. Like, I don't remember if the world is, has always existed this way, but like, was there always these governing bodies behind governments, like these conglomerate of ideas, like the World Economic Forum? Is that a new concept that entered in the 19, you know, in like the 1970s when Klaus Schwab started it? Or is that something that's been like a shadow realm thing and now it's coming to public knowledge? Like, I'd like to hear your thoughts there because you said, do we want these people running it? No. Do we have a choice? I don't know. I think we always have a choice. And if you start to believe you don't have a choice, you might as well just give up at this point. Um, 
Also, you know, there's this sort of theory that we're all watching a movie, right? And this, this is a, the hero's journey where humanity wakes up as a collective and says, you know what, we're no longer going to be beholden to this 0.1% of billionaires who've been controlling the money system for over a century. Like, enough's enough. We're, we're going to remove them from power. We're going to no longer just take the knee and, and do whatever they tell us to do. That was kind of the real lesson of 2020 for me is how many people just caved and defied their own logic and intuition. And is this right? Like, why am I doing these things? Why am I being forced to close my business while the Walmart down the street is allowed to stay open? Um, I think we need to just stop accepting instructions that come from a small group of people who do not have our best interests at heart and start to brainstorm as a collective what what is a better way for us to operate and not just accept that the broken system is the best we've got because i'm not giving up hey abs one good way to start is if you take a look at behind molly on her bookshelf that little book to the left on the second shelf in blue start with reading that one that's a good place to start and you'll see how it all came together that book was a game changer for me in so many ways i can yeah. see the book what's it what is the title called the creature from jekyll island okay yeah shout out to our boy mark yasko johnny because that's a book that he talks about all the time and let's actually apply this to what we're going through today because right now we got the news out of ireland and let's go over this article johnny really briefly while i connected to connect them to news articles here ripple added to the central bank of ireland's virtual asset service providers registry so ripple today announced that the central bank of ireland muted has added its irish subsidiary ripple markets ireland limited to its list of registered virtual asset service providers. The decision will support Ripple's business since as a registered service provider, Ripple Markets will be able to provide certain digital asset services within Ireland. So I'd like to pause it there, Molly, and just get some of your thoughts because you started off the episode with a pretty funny statement where you said, we, we came into crypto for decentralization, but we're celebrating central bank partnerships. So before we even get into the specifics, what was your reaction after going through the news? Well, I'm actually not inherently opposed to centralization if a benevolent entity is the central party. The problem is, is that this is the same thing with CBDCs. Like there's nothing wrong with CBDCs and having smart contracts, maybe manage money. But if you have a kind of evil entity controlling the smart contract, that's going to suck for humanity. And that's the issue too with the central banks is like, there isn't really a problem with a nation having a central entity control the monetary policy for that country. But who is controlling those central banks at this time? And I don't know enough about the Irish central bank to know who is in charge there, but I'm assuming they're part of the Western banking cartel. And so I don't oppose centralization. I oppose like dark forces controlling the centralization. So that's where uh, we need to see, I think, some open discussion and some transparency by the part of things like the Bank of International Settlements. Why do they have diplomatic immunity? Why are they allowed to do whatever they want? And they're above the laws of every nation. Like some conversations about that type of structure, I think is important before we say all centralization is bad. It's just centralization from bad people is bad. And I think it's hard to separate the two, right? Because I don't know of a good example where like a centralized entity, maybe I'm just naive in this way, but like, is there, a, is there an example of like a centralized entity recently being run by like good people. Like I, I'm, I'm genuinely asking, I just don't know. Is there a good example that we could point to? I mean, I think you see it at the local level. Yeah. Um, I think you can see like you'll have communities where you have a great mayor who really loves the people and everybody gets to know this person and meets with them. And he regularly listens to, or she regularly listens to the concerns of the constituents. The problem we have with the, the U S government, for example, is that the U S government is a corporation and it is a privately held corporation and it is not was not created for our interests and they've been trading our birth certificates <laughs> and that whole bizarro market if you're familiar with that, what i'm talking about here yep. and that type of stuff i think has not been discussed widely we don't really know the you know most people don't really know what's going on in terms of that so i think abs to answer your question yes when we see smaller groups of people where you actually know the person in charge and can meet with that person, centralization can be wonderful. Families are often centralization. Well, you'll have like the a great patriarch of the family who has the interests at heart of everyone that's involved. But when you get into these like super PACs and money laundering and campaign contributions and the power to print money at will, 
you enable this corruption and then there's no transparency, you know, who's really behind the U.S. corporation that we refer to as the government. There's a lot of places I go mentally when you talk like that, Molly, but I want to save my, my voice for after Johnny and Mario. What, what is your initial reaction? We'll, we'll continue to, uh, Johnny, Stop putting comments on the screen, please. Can you can you address my comment? I ain't putting any comments. The on same me. millionaire comment. It might be a glitch. This guy, <laughs> not me. This guy keeps me. popping up on my screen. I'm this not even touching it. I have no idea what's going <laughs> go on. Ahead, go ahead, Mario. I, I think I think that uh, the fact that we're going to have digital money is inevitable. That that's just the evolution of where we're going, and I think that that part is inevitable. The CBDC idea is kind of what's at the forefront of of that concept, and the part and and Molly stated it's the evil side of of the of the idea or I guess the technology. That's the part that we need to be wary of. I don't think that that's something that's going to be implemented right away, but I think it's important for us to be aware that they could easily implement it. Like all the bad parts of uh, controlling uh, currency or the control of the currency. So I think it's definitely something for us to be aware of going into the future. But I don't think we're going to see it right away, uh, especially in in America and other developed nations where people have a sense of freedom or a belief of freedom. I don't think it's going to be accepted, but nonetheless, as Molly stated, we saw what happened in 2020 and how quickly people can kind of get manipulated into a certain direction. And so at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some kind of event where then they present a solution and that solution is the control side of CBDC. So, but I think it's unprecedented abs. Like it's, it's kind of hard to to say when it will happen exactly and, and, and how it will happen because it's unprecedented. We're getting digital money for the first time and it's going to be put in the hands of people. And then we have to see how governments and people react. And, and we have to see also the, all these different narratives take place. And, you know, we have also right now potentially a collapse of the dollar and we have all this, all these other basket of currencies that are trying to emerge as other solutions. So I think there's so many different variables. It's really hard to see when when that, that timeline is going to take place, if that makes sense. But nonetheless, digital money is here and CBDC is kind of that te technology. So of course, we're going to get excited when we hear Ripple is getting involved because one way or another, we are exposed to it as XRP investors, or we hope that we get exposed to it as XRP investors. And I think the important part, as Johnny always says, is if we can take advantage of that situation to be able to profit or benefit us and the people around us and create a better life, where then if these technologies and those principles get pushed out, we are in a position where we can try to avoid it. That makes sense. Yeah, and be careful too about compromising your ethics in exchange for money. I mean, that's how the whole corruption thing starts. You'll have people get into politics who have really have good intentions and a good heart. And then the first bribe comes and the first payoff comes and all of a sudden now they're compromised because they can't speak out. And that even happens with this point about like, all right, if we're seeing this broken financial system being replaced with another ver digital version of it, but you made money off of it, are you going to compromise your integrity and your commitment to doing your part to create a better solution simply because you got your payout. So be careful of that ethical choice because you might have to answer for that one day. And what's really interesting and just to close out this topic is that they've done plenty of studies where I think a lot of times we always think like bigger is better. The bigger the society, the more inclusive the city, that's always better. Well, they've done plenty of studies on animals and, and I know animals and humans are not the same, but this is a good example about psychology where they had, Molly, let me know if you're familiar with this. They had a science experiment where they created a mouse utopia and they gave them infinite food, infinite grounds, and then they they put 300 mice in originally. Well, obviously, mice are known for reproducing. So as the population grew and they filled up the dystopia, the, the perfect reality for these mice, what did they do? They became depressed. They became segregated. They began to do a lot of the things that we're witnessing in our society today. And because I don't want to get canceled, I'm not going to go into the specifics. But if you want to look up the study and figure it out for yourself, guys, a lot of a lot of repercussions come from overpopulation. Most sickness stems from being in a city, being packed in an apartment. I lived in a city last year. I can speak to this from personal experience. It is, you can't even get your feet on the ground. If you live in an apartment building and you're on the 20th floor, if you want to go outside, first of all, you got to go through the lobby, down the elevator, out through, and then you're in a, a concrete city. So you, there's no grass. There's no beauty. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but I feel like now that I live in the suburbs, 
there's just so much more beauty. It's I feel like I'm more in touch with nature and that makes me have much more peace of mind. That's what's happening in our political system as well. The bigger it gets, the dirtier people rise to the top and we see negative repercussions come down the pyramid. That's why I use it as an example. So I know that's not related to XRP. I just want to get some closing remarks from you and we'll close it out with this article. I think there's um, a certain type of person who is attracted to power at that scale. That's someone who wants to be like in charge of everyone in the world. That's a very addictive drug, actually. And we should be careful about who gets to have that place on the stage. Is that person committed to integrity and ethics and making sure that the interests of their constituents are represented? This is where we have this problem with the campaign contributions and lobbying. Like it's really hard for the little guy to compete with somebody who's writing million dollar checks and offering to buy you a plane and buy you vacation houses and all these things that these politicians end up with having. Um, and the system itself, by allowing this massive flow of money through it, I don't think the little people like us are ever going to have a voice. Uh, it's it's like a house that is so rotted with um, termites and people are coming in and trying to paint the room and be like, oh, look, we have a new bouquet of flowers for the dining room table. But the whole thing is so rotten that I think that it, I would love in our lifetime to see the collapse of this corporate structure, finance, uh, political system, and, and a new one that actually is for the people to emerge. And they're commenting right now. They're going to put me in a 15-minute city, Molly. Nobody can stop me. Nobody can stop me from running away in the woods. I promise you that much. <laughs> and I'm only kidding. But Johnny, let's actually finish the show out on a positive note because I think we can use the correlation from past bull markets to anticipate what may happen in the future. And crypto investors, it, it looks like the Bitcoin having creates a supply shock every single time. We've got the evidence to prove it. And this is why we're going to talk about an exit plan, Johnny. But let me read the math here real quick, because this is what I found interesting about these uh, comparisons. The data really speaks for itself. In 2012, at the time of the Bitcoin halving, Bitcoin was $11. From that point to the peak of the bull run, it did 105x. 2016, at the day of the halving, it was $650. It did a 30x, reaching $20,000 by the end of the cycle. In 2020, it was $8,800 at the time of the halving. And we did a seven and a half X finishing the cycle just below $70,000. If we apply this data to the modern day cycle, I would say we're going to do about a third of seven and a half X. And so I applied a two and a half percent multiple here. If we're at $40,000, the day of the Bitcoin having in April, this math tells me that the peak of the bull run would be a hundred grand. So I'm using this as an indicator of why, why this is a good way to anticipate the future. I don't know if I phrased that correctly, but what I'm trying to do is show you, we don't need Bitcoin to repeat and do a 7X, a 10X, a 100X. If we get a three and a half X from the spot of the halving date to the end of the bull market, that is massive gains, not only for Bitcoin, but for the altcoins as well. And that's why I wanted to end it on this positive note, Johnny. What's your reaction? What's your exit plan? You know the deal. Yeah, no. So at the end of the day, Abs, most certainly, you know, as prices go up, the 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 appreciation value of them the next time is going to go down it's just just the normal way things work right but the reality is when you look at the space as a whole and how it's been behaving we know that money flows into bitcoin and then after it kind of saturates there it kind of flows out and runs into all the altcoins so the good news about that is if you're smart and you're playing the game and you're forefront it you can get in front of this thing this wave that's coming and be able to take advantage of it right we know as we've seen in the past, things go up and then things come down. Just look at the Wall Street cheat sheet, right? We know how we know how the elites pump it. We know how it works. The the key is, are we? Are you going to sit there and do a, a lot? You know, a lot of people that watch it go all the way up and see. Here's what people forget: when you look at a chart afterwards, it's so easy to say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to sell over there," but that's not how it works. When you're living in the middle of that chart going up. The narratives you're hearing, the stories you're hearing, when it's at 30,000, you're hearing it's going to 70. When it's at 70, you're hearing it's going to 120. You're not going to sell. You're thinking it's going higher. And, and what's going to happen is you're going to get, you're going to become their like exit liquidity ads. And that's why it's so important that people have an exit plan. You need to be able to sell on the way up on these charts to take some profits. Because as Molly talked about earlier, talked about, Kind of being free, right? Being away, having your own system. Well, the reality is the big boys have control of the system. Will it ever change? I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. Right? The reality is this, though. If you can generate enough generational wealth for your family, 
And you could take your family, go do whatever you want to do. Maybe go buy a private island or go somewhere, get out of the system. You know, the point is put yourself in a position. The way you win this game, put yourself in a position to create some generational wealth for yourself and then take yourself out of the equation. At least that's how I'm playing the game. So for me, Abs, it's all about having an exit plan on the way up. Take some profits. Um, you know, never compromise your 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 ethics, but making some money is something that you believe is a a, you know, an investment that you make that you think is worthy of making and taking some profits along the way up. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Take those profits and then invest them somewhere. Put them to use. Put them to good use for humanity, you know, if you want to. Start a community. Do something. You know, help other people like we do here, right? Helping to educate people on what this space is all about and look at some ideas or thinking different about it. So I hope everybody has an exit strategy, Abs. You know, as you know, we create. Oh, I'll let you explain what we created because you do it much better than I do. But it is important. Absolutely, guys. And we got 586 live listeners here. First of all, Molly, you got a new nickname on the show. They're calling you the Hammer of Truth on GMC. So shout out to you. Next time you're on the show, I'm going to add it to the introduction. Molly the Hammer. (laughs) But Johnny makes a great point. When we talk about exit plans, we're not talking about exiting the, the crypto market. What we're talking about is according to the cycles and what we've experienced in the past, 90% of the money that comes in will leave on the back end. And so you may as well lock in a certain amount of profit so that you can reinvest it. Even if you want to stay in crypto, what I do is I do a 65, 35 exit plan. So 65% will be executed during the bull run. 35%, if XRP is a million dollars, it is staying in my portfolio. And I just copied that from BC Backer. So I just want to give a shout out to the man who actually taught me that a couple of years ago. But Molly, to close out the show, I'd love for you to remind people What's your YouTube? What's your Twitter? Where can people find more of your content? Uh, so my Twitter is Molly Elmore 22. Be careful. There's a bunch of fake Molly Elmore accounts on Twitter and they will try to sell you a scamming trading course that I have nothing to do with. Yeah. Um, I've been doing a whole lot of YouTube, but we do have escape velocity, which is one of the Val Hill uh, marketing channels uh, where we interview people and kind of cover some of the topics for the future of money. So check that out. Sorry, Molly, I was on the other screen. I want to say thank you for joining us today. We're going to close this thing out by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Molly. Thank you to Mario. And thank you to Johnny Crypto himself. We got 577 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And a special thank you to Molly. Always fun when you join the show. We'll have to do it again in the future, guys. We'll see you in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Molly.